0: Right, grant to be with you again. Um, We're going to have a look at James chapter 2. I know you're working your way through James on a Sunday evening. So we've arrived at chapter 2, and I'm going to read the first 13 verses. So James chapter 2, and beginning to read at verse 1. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Listen, my dear brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you deal with us on a daily basis. We pray that we might not quench nor resist the Holy Spirit. And we pray, Lord, that we might not only understand what you are saying to us this evening, but please, Lord, changes we want to be made more and more into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ so that's what we pray for tonight in Jesus name amen now let's see what the Lord has got to say to us this evening we're going to do something very simple we're going to begin at verse 1 work our way through and end at verse 13 and see what God has for us in scripture so if you've got scripture in front of you that will be a big help But we're going to begin in the first verse there, where James says, My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. And isn't it a great thing that the very first thing that we're looking at this evening is eyes straight to Jesus? And the simple reason for that is that anything that we do in our Christian lives, we have one motive for him. Everything is for him. And we're reminded right at the start that the reason for that is he's glorious, he's beyond description. And so we are thankful that our motivation, and as we were reminded before, that we don't worship God just to stay out of hell, but uh, because we're absolutely terrified and he says we've got to do this, that it's out of love for him because we so much appreciate what he's done for us. So I like passages like this because you don't read them and then think, oh, What's it mean? Well, you'll have to work really hard to find out what the Bible's saying here. We know what it means, don't we? And here's a command right at the start. I trust we've come to church with this desire. Lord, what have you got for me? What do you want me to know? How do you want to change my life? How do you want me to think? And here's a command to start with. Don't show favoritism. Don't show partiality. Don't discriminate. Don't favour one person above another. And that's what the Lord is saying to me and you tonight. And straight away, I don't know about you, but I feel convicted. Because I think we can all be prone to favour one sort of person above another. And it's in the human heart. So the Lord very simply says to us tonight, don't be like that. Don't show partiality. And then he goes on in verse 2 and says, uh, he gives an example. Suppose this man comes into your meeting. And uh, here's a man with a gold ring on and designer clothes. And here's a fella who's shabby. He's only got one shirt and one pair of jeans. And uh, he comes in. And they're both brought into the meeting, and there's a discrimination takes place. You say to the rich man, oh, great to see you. You come and sit over here, and you've got a special chair for them, and you sit them down. And to the poor man who's shabby, well, you well, you can stand at the back, or I'll tell you what, you come and sit on the floor next to me. Now, James says that as an example, because clearly the people he's writing to then that sort of thing might be going on. It's a specific example. But he says, if you behave like that, you have discriminated amongst yourselves, and it's not just that your thinking's a bit wrong, but look how he describes it. He says, you've become judges with evil thoughts. You are favoring one person above another. In this situation, because that person has wealth and no doubt influence, and that person hasn't got wealth and no doubt no influence. So actually, the problem is your thoughts. And the thoughts aren't just a little bit askew. Those are evil thoughts. Discriminating from one person to another. Now, this is a particular example that James is dealing with, with the people that he's writing to. But when you think about this, discrimination, we know, don't we, this is always a hot topic, is discrimination. And it's lovely that the Lord speaks directly to the subject of discrimination. Because human beings can discriminate and choose one person above another, show favor to one person and not favor to another for all types of reasons. And we'd be here all night if we went through all the, all the examples, wouldn't we? Because, do you know, I used to live in Kirby. Jill and I, my wife, when we first got married, we lived in Kirby on Merseyside. And uh, Kirby was a new town. They ripped the heart of Liverpool out, Scotland Road, and they brought everybody who lived there and dumped them in a field on the outskirts of uh, Liverpool, basically, a lot of years ago, this. So we were in this massive council estate, and there was a road running through the council estate. And... One side of the road, we were gas central eating. The other side, in the blocks and in the maisonettes and stuff, was electric, lecky in Liverpool. So gas side, lecky side. Now, all these people came from the same area in Liverpool. They were all Scouse. I think we were the only Scouse that, uh, not we weren't Scouse. I, I can't remember anybody else who wasn't Scouse who lived there. And so these people were virtually identical. And they all had the same taste, they liked the same music, and really it was one people. But come Friday and Saturday night, any young lads fancying a scrap would actually choose to scrap the others at the other side of Main Road because they were Lecky side or they were Gas side. In other words, they found a difference. Even if it was a main road going through the middle, they found a difference to actually hurt together in a pack. Now that's what human beings do, don't they? And so they can do that, and discrimination can be against color, it can be nationality, it can be race. I've even seen discrimination the very opposite of the example that James gives. I remember a church, which was a relatively poor church financially, And they had a big problem when two people walked in with all the designer stuff on. And they spoke a slightly different posher, if you like, uh, way of speaking. And they found it very difficult to settle in that church. It was the opposite of this. Discrimination can work in any type. Even if it's just, there's a sort of person I like. They get me jokes. They support the same team. They think like I do. And so you can show favor to a person because of any of these things and not show favor to somebody else because they don't fit wow don't show favoritism that's what the scriptures say and then he goes on from verse 5 to 7 don't show favoritism he gives a reason here because actually it doesn't make any sense he says listen my dear brothers. Isn't that lovely? James, an affectionate guy. You could be rebuked by James, couldn't you? You know what I mean? That's the sort of way we approach somebody when they're trying to correct these people. (coughs) And he says, listen, my, my dear brothers, he's not saying this out of power or anything like this, because we want to be more like Christ. And then he points something out. And again, he points us to God. Just as previously he pointed us straight away to the glorious Lord Jesus, now he points us to God and he says, Think of God. What's his character? How does he behave? What does he do? Because we are not trying to be like the world, we are trying to be like the Lord Jesus. So look at the Lord God. What does he do? Well, observe, he chooses the poor. That's what he does. He chooses the despised, the poor of this world, to confound the wise so that he might have all the glory. We're very thankful God can save anybody, of course. So he can save billionaires. He can save very uh, culturally elite people, if you like. But mainly, he, serve, he saves ordinary people. And so watch how God does things, Observe. And so he points this out and he says, look, God has chosen the poor in the eyes of this world. And many Christians who don't have two pennies to rub together are looked upon as, you know, poor people, not a lot of influence and stuff like that. But actually the description that God gives is they are rich in faith. And so who's rich and who's poor? Well, if I said, right, who's rich and who's poor? Put your hands up if you're rich. And we're thinking money. I'm not going to do it, by the way. <laughs> but I don't know how many hands will go up. And if I said who's poor, I don't know how many hands will go up. But who's rich in faith? Because that's that's what really matters. To be rich in faith, and God has chosen those who are poor in they're poor in the eyes of the world. The world cares nothing for Christian people, but for those who are rich in faith, who are inheriting the kingdom, and who love. The Lord Jesus Christ. So James says, listen, what you're doing doesn't actually make any sense. Because if you think about how God behaves, he looks upon the poor. But you, you're insulting the poor and you're giving special treatment to the rich people. But who's actually exploiting you? Who's dragging you off to court? Who's causing you all the problems? It's people who are rich Not the people who are poor, they're not uh, causing you any problems at all. They're the ones who are slandering the Lord Jesus Christ and giving you a hard time. So, James says, don't show favoritism. In this particular case, especially, don't show favoritism to rich influential people over poor people because it doesn't make any sense. God doesn't do that. And besides, it's not the poor who are causing the problem. It's the rich. So that doesn't make sense. It makes sense, by the way, in the world. I I was listening to somebody on the radio the other day, and um, they were giving advice on how to succeed in business. And it was interesting. I listened in. And uh, um, this person was a top executive in London, and they were actually saying that when you're brought into work in a big office, imagine a big tower block down in... uh, Canary wolf or something, when you're brought into the office, then you do your job to the best of your ability, but you look, who's got power, who's got influence, right, who can get you further up the ladder, and you pick them out, and you don't worry about the other people, you just worry about those with influence, and you get in with them, and then when you get promotion, you do exactly the same thing, okay, you do your job to your best ability, don't worry about those round about you, and then... You try and get a step up the ladder by seeing who's got the power and influence who can get me further up. And that was the advice. Now, hey, I don't doubt that that could possibly work. But it's absolutely useless to a Christian because we haven't got the same ambitions as the world. So it's never our ambition to actually not worry about people who can't give you a lift up, but really concentrate on those who can and if a rich person oh come in here, he might do us a bit of good. Okay, that's never our Christian thinks because our motives are to be more like Jesus. Now, if God blesses your talents and you get right to the top of something, well, that's all right. I'm not saying we can't do that, but I'm simply saying that's not our ambition. Our ambition is to be like the Lord Jesus. Now, the Lord the, um, then widens this. James widens it in verse eight. Because in James 8, he says, If you really keep the royal law, love your neighbor as yourself. This royal law, by the way, is found where? In Scripture. We thank God that the Lord Jesus believed the Scriptures. The apostles believed the Scriptures. And that's where they go to for their evidence. And that's where they go for the teaching. So, it's there in Scripture. Love your neighbor as yourself, And this, of course, is the teaching of Jesus. Jesus wonderfully put all the prophets and all the teaching of the Old Testament together. And he said we can sum it up with just two commandments. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and might. Love your neighbor as yourself. And isn't that a wonderful thing? That he sums it all up in love. Our boiler's on the blink. So I had to get the old instruction book out. Uh, earlier today it's massive to understand what to do with this boiler there's loads of instructions and the Lord comes and we talked about the deepest things in life how do we live and he sums it up in two commands isn't that wonderful you don't need a big manual just love God and love your neighbor as yourself and can I just pause there because some people I make Christians who think that the second commandment this commandment that James mentions here the great royal law found in Scripture, some Christians seem to think that it says, don't bother about yourself. Don't think about yourself. Just think about others. Now, be careful with that one because we are to love other people in the same way that we love ourselves. But if we don't love ourselves, we're not going to be of any use to anybody else. So if we neglect ourselves and don't care about whether we get sleep, whether we eat, whether we work, whether we rest, whether we have some recreation, no time to build uh, relationships and so on, if we don't actually respect and love ourselves and we don't care anything for ourselves, then when we look to other people, we want for them what we have for us. Well, if you haven't got anything for yourself because you don't respect and love yourself, how are you going to love somebody else? Now, the command is love other people as you love yourself. What does that mean? It means if I've got a roof over my head and I love this person, I want them to have a roof over their head. If I've got food to eat, I want them to have food to eat. If I've got clean water, I want them. To have clean water. If I've heard the gospel to believe in the Lord Jesus, I want them to hear the gospel. And so all the blessings that we have, we want for other people. And we are not allowed to discriminate. We are not allowed to sift through and say, well, I prefer to really tell this person about the Lord Jesus Christ. or I prefer really, I feel more at ease helping this person than that person. Whoa. Because we're not to show favoritism. And this is an all catch commandment because who is our neighbour? <laughs> it's whoever we come in contact with, isn't it? And so our neighbour used to be people that were round our village. Now, round our town, round the nation, those we might actually speak to or hear about on Facebook or something else. That everybody we come in contact with, we're in the same world. And so we are not those who are making the judgment with evil thoughts, who to help and who not to help. And so, if you keep this royal law, that's the encouragement that he's given us, love your neighbor as yourself, obviously, we're doing right. But if we show favoritism, it's sin. And if we sin, then we're convicted as lawbreakers. And James goes on to show, that as showing favoritism is not loving your neighbor in the way that God ever intended, then we become a lawbreaker even on this matter. So we might have thought this is a bit of a secondary subject, but it's not a secondary subject, is it? It's right at the heart of God's great commandment to love our neighbors in the same way that we love ourselves. And he points out that you can keep the law in one aspect, but if you break it, the law in another aspect, then you become a law breaker. So if the police pull you over for doing 60 miles an hour up Thornton Road, it's no good saying the policeman, excuse me, do you know, I've kept the law all day. Well, that's not the point. You might have done that. You might have kept a lot of laws today, but you weren't keeping the law going up Thornton Road. And so we recognize that this is the category we belong to. So now we have, to end with, a positive command. So we had a negative command, something we must not do. So we were commanded, do not show favoritism. Now we've got something to do, to take home and to meditate on tonight and to think about and say, Lord, please change the way I think. I want to do what you want me to do. So what does he want us to do? Verse 12, speak. And act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. What law is that? It's the gospel, isn't it? It's the law of Christ. Paul refers to this. We often, uh, because obviously the law, we think of the Old Testament under the law. Now we're not under the law. We're under grace, believing in the mercy of God, the gospel. So we very rarely think about the gospel in terms of law. But there are a few places in scripture where it's referred to like that. Let me read you a bit from 1 Corinthians 10. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9, sorry. I'll read the old passage because this is a passage which really is, is massive on evangelism. It's a fantastic passage on evangelism. So, Paul says to the Corinthians, Though I am free... This is uh, 1 Corinthians 9, by the way, 19. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law so as to win those under the law. So you're with it, aren't you? He was a Jew himself, circumcised. And so when he was reaching out to Jews, he didn't want to offend them, didn't want to put a stumbling block, and he took on all their customs. But with a liberty in his heart. But for their sake and the gospel's sake. Then he says, To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. So to Gentiles, they didn't have all those hang-ups. So he wasn't worried about it. And so he got on with speaking to the Gentiles without reference to the law. And so he wasn't being hypocritical, by the way, because he always has this freedom. But he owes all things to all men for the sake of the gospel. So to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. But then he says, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law. Now, we don't think of Christ's teaching like that very often, do we? And what he's referring to, of course, is the gospel. And he does that so as to win those not having the law. Now, let, as I say, that's a great passage on evangelism. But I wanted to turn there because it's another reference to Christ's law. And if you think of the gospel, we obviously put the law against the gospel Because the Old Testament trying to keep these Ten Commandments. And that was the desperate need of the people. They couldn't do it. The Lord Jesus did do it. He kept the law. He was obedient to that law. But then he freed us. We who were the slaves of sin and of Satan. He frees us at the cross through his power. Through the resurrection, and we know now that the new agreement with God is whoever believes in him shall never perish, but shall have everlasting life. So, we arrive on Judgment Day, and we're pleading the blood, aren't we? We're pleading the blood of Jesus Christ. He has done it all. And so, we very much... In our thinking, we have the law and the gospel in opposition. But here, few places, we have the gospel, the law of Christ, uh, described as the law that gives freedom. And that's helpful in the sense that on that judgment day, we shall be declared righteous and justified before God. And that word justified, it's a legal term. And so that's the agreement that God has made with us. That's what we can absolutely rely on. Not our own efforts, but Christ has done it all. And this was an agreement made in the gospel that's been preached through generations that we have believed, we've received, and therefore boldly. We come before the throne of grace and confidently we come before uh, the God in judgment because Christ (coughs) has done it all. So speak and act. This is the command. As those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. So, we arrive on judgment day and we recognize that we are free and we have been made free free through the death of Christ, through his resurrection. We have been made free and we are completely reliant on God's mercy and thankful for it. Now, favoritism. What are you doing? God has said... Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Do not discriminate. Chase it from your hearts, whatever the nature of that discrimination, because you are totally reliant upon mercy. So you live showing mercy, because that's what your God is like. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. And that's what a person is doing, not being merciful, to this shabby fella who's coming into the meeting, and, oh, you sit down there, okay? He's a rich fella, bit of influence. We might get something out of this one, okay? It's a lack of mercy. And so judgment will be shown to all those who have not shown mercy. Last time I was here, funnily enough, we were in the Beatitudes, just mentioned it. And remember one of the Beatitudes, blessed are the merciful because they will be shown mercy. And we pointed out then, and I repeat it tonight, that mercy isn't a condition for found, uh, for salvation because we come pleading, the Lord, please... God have mercy upon me, a sinner, and he shows us mercy. But then because we've been forgiven so much more, 60 billion pounds or something, when somebody comes, we're now in a new situation to be enabled to forgive somebody a fiver because we've just been forgiven 60 billion. And the shocking thing about that unforgiving servant who was forgiven lots of money But wouldn't forgive somebody who owed him very little. The shocking thing was the context that he had been forgiven. In normal circumstances, it wouldn't have been shocking. But it is shocking for a Christian not to forgive, not to show mercy, because we owe everything to God's mercy. And so when God has shown us so much mercy, he puts us in a new position to be enabled. I'm not saying perfected. (laughs) We're we're all... a a working process, aren't we? And so it's not perfection, but we are definitely in a new position to be enabled to treat people with mercy and not judgment. And that's where James started. You make yourself judges. You're judging between one person and another. What are you judging on? Color, race, culture, what is it? What, what prejudice have you have, do you have in your heart to treat one person more favorably than another? Just imagine if God was like that. Well, thankfully, God isn't like that. And so mercy triumphs over judgment. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for mercy. But we realize, having experienced such immense mercy when we think of what you've forgiven us, not only in the long ago past, but today in our thoughts, in our whole wretchedness in living, knowing that we're so far away from living like Jesus did. Lord, we just thank you for your mercy and pray that we might live in the light of the law of Jesus Christ in this gospel mercy and enable us, Lord, to show mercy because we realize how wonderfully better it is than pretending to be judges. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.